All right, so we've covered our fat-soluble vitamins and water-soluble vitamins in other sections, so make sure you go back and listen to those. Uh, in this section, we're going to go ahead and talk about trace mineral deficiencies. All right. So the three that I think are clinically relevant uh, on a routine basis are zinc, copper, and selenium, and we'll talk about each of those in turn. So zinc is probably one that you often will uh, run into on a clinical standpoint and can see on a, a fairly routine basis, even in uh, healthy uh, infants. So uh, zinc is an essential cofactor for many enzymes, including nucleic acid and protein metabolism, DNA and RNA polymerase, and transcription factors, which are called zinc fingers as well as important in immune function. Uh, natural sources vary. Um, the most readily available uh, and bioavailable form of zinc is found in meat, um, which can be an issue in infants. There is zinc supplementation, especially in cereals, but the problem is that cereal-based and vegetable-based zinc often is poorly absorbed due to phytate content in these foods, and phytic acid uh, contains negative charges that bind zinc and prohibit its absorption. So while cereals will contain zinc, often the absorption is less ideal than uh, zinc-rich rich foods such as meat. Uh, human milk does contain zinc, so uh, mom's breast milk will contain zinc. But interestingly, milk zinc content varies from mother to mother and does not seem to be affected by supplementation or diet. So some uh, mother's milk is inherently low in zinc, while other uh, mother's milk may be adequate in zinc. But uh, human milk zinc is more readily absorbed compared to formula. Um, the other thing to keep in mind too with human milk is that zinc content typically decreases with lactation age uh, as well. So the older the infant gets, the less zinc often in mother's milk. So the classic uh, deficiency state of zinc is uh, characterized by acro or official skin lesion. So basically a very erythematous, red, and sometimes scaling rash around the mouth, around the bottom. Um, it also is associated with diarrhea. Interestingly, zinc deficiency can be precipitated by diarrhea, and zinc deficiency can cause diarrhea. So you do lose zinc with high diarrhea or high stool output diseases such as short bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease, um, or chronic diarrhea and uh, infectious illness. And then zinc deficiency can cause diarrhea as well. You have an increased susceptibility to infection when you have uh, zinc deficiency. Uh, failure to thrive or poor growth is seen as well as poor wound healing. So often I'll tell residents about uh, classic uh, patients that I'll see is the breastfed infant around four to six months of age who has not introduced complementary foods yet with poor growth, chronic diarrhea, which was initially thought to just be breastfeeding stools, as well as a diaper rash that is difficult to treat. So when you get that clinical scenario, you want to have a high index of suspicion of zinc deficiency, but also you want to think about it, like I said, in high diarrheal output diseases such as short bowel syndrome, celiac disease, Crohn's disease, or uh, chronic malnutrition as well. So there's also an autosomal recessive disorder of zinc metabolism, and that's called acrodermatitis enterohepatica. Um, and that is a true autosomal recessive condition. There is genetic testing for it. It's very expensive, and the treatment is just zinc supplementation. So oftentimes, if the clinical scenario is consistent with zinc deficiency, we supplement. I have a few patients that I have a high suspicion for acrodermatitis enterohepatica that I follow in clinic. So uh, with zinc deficiency, um, we do measure zinc levels, but they can be insensitive indicators of overall zinc status. 
So acute dietary intake, infection, stress, and growth rate all can affect your acute zinc levels, often with many of those lowering your zinc level, uh, such as uh, infection and stress. So oftentimes we consider supplementation based on the clinical context. Like I mentioned, if you have a patient with symptoms of zinc deficiency that fits a classic clinical scenario, zinc deficiency, we supplement. Another nice clinical correlation is that the alkaline phosphatase level in these children is often low because zinc is required for a cofactor required for alkaline phosphase uh, production. So again, if you have a patient that you're highly suspicious of zinc deficiency and you have an alkaline phosphatase that is low, that is very characteristic of zinc deficiency. So treatment um, is around one milligram per kilogram per day. Typically we max out at 20 to 30 milligrams of elemental zinc. And uh, oftentimes you'll have the, the mom call you and tell you how wonderful you are because symptoms completely resolve in three to five days. So it can often be a very quick turnaround in symptom improvement. So moving on from zinc to copper. Um, so uh, dietary sources of copper include vegetables, grains, and legumes. Also is found in meat, fish, and poultry, especially in liver. Multiple different biological roles of copper, and I won't go through all of them. One that you often will hear about is ceruloplasmin. So ceruloplasmin is the storage form and transportation form of copper. And so in copper deficiency, ceruloplasmin will be low. We often think of ceruloplasmin and Wilson's disease, and the reason why Wilson's disease uh, ceruloplasmin is low is that there is a inability to get copper out of the various uh, parts of the liver into an area where ceruloplasmin can be made. So uh, there's a lot of other um, biologic roles of copper that I won't get into. So copper deficiency states, um, isolated deficiency is rare. It typically occurs with an identifiable risk factor. So someone who has intestinal failure is and is on TPN, sometimes copper will be held out of the TPN due to concerns for cholestasis. So we do know that copper can damage the liver um, as illustrated with Wilson's disease and so often will hold copper out of TPN. Oftentimes that can develop into a deficiency state. If you have a patient who you think may have acrodermatitis enterohepatica or zinc deficiency and you give them zinc, uh, chronic zinc supplementation can actually lead to copper deficiency because zinc competes with copper for absorption. So if you give a lot of zinc, you may reduce your copper absorption from your diet. Severe malnutrition and chronic malabsorptive conditions can also be associated with copper deficiency. So uh, symptoms include fragile or abnormally formed hair, uh, skin depigmentation, uh, neurologic manifestations including weakness, ataxia, neuropathy, and cognitive defects, as well as a microcytic anemia and neutropenia. So interestingly enough, iron supplementation can often worsen anemia as it competes with copper and decreases absorption in a patient with copper deficiency. So if you have a patient with a microcytic anemia with a risk factor for copper deficiency and you give them iron supplementation and the anemia worsens, always think about copper as the reason for that microcytic anemia. We often will measure serum copper and serum ceruloplasmin. As I mentioned, ceruloplasmin will be low with copper deficiency. There is an X-linked recessive disorder of copper metabolism called Minkie's syndrome and copper deficiency is seen at a young age as a very poor long-term outcome. Minkies associated with those uh, hair manifestations along with the other manifestations of copper and it's called the kinky or minky hair syndrome. So selenium is the last uh, uh, micronutrient that we'll uh, discuss. So selenium is found in seafood and meat sources, uh, but the content of food is highly dependent upon the local condition 
and soil levels of selenium. There's a Keshen's disease, which is a province in China, and uh, this disease is associated with selenium deficiency due to poor local soil content of selenium. So all of their foodstuffs were very low in selenium. Deficiency is associated with a congestive cardiomyopathy, impaired immune function, mood disorders, and muscle dysfunction. Um, and the U.S. is primarily seen in chronic TPN patients due to drug shortages or holding trace elements due to cholestasis. So not something we see with uh, routine frequency in the U.S., but something to keep in mind, especially in the patient with unexplained cardiomyopathy. All right. Well, that was a lot of information. Um, like I said, we're going to break these sections up. So you'll have one um, looking at fat soluble, one looking at water soluble, and one looking at minerals. So go back and listen to those. A lot of good pearls in here and good luck on the boards. Thanks, Dr. Vanderpool. Yeah.